What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Done? Really? Are they? Maybe we even do get a hike in December, even though most of the market has taken that off the table. A voting member of the Fed's rate-setting committee, Chicago's Austin Goolsby, on the will they or won't they raise rates again. The overwhelming thing we need to do is pay attention to inflation and get the inflation down. The, the employment side of the mandate's going well. And pollster Frank Luntz, one year to election 24. What did you make of the New York Times Siena poll over it, the weekend? It started a food fight. His stark take on the numbers. And I don't understand for the life of me why Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries do not go to the White House and say, sir, you've been a great president, done a good job for us, but it's time to move on. Plus, the House GOP starts a funding clock again, actors still on strike, and the way we, we worked. Too good for the customer. Yeah, that it couldn't stay in business. It's Tuesday, November 7th, 2023, Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Curtin and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and here we go. It's a Tuesday morning. We have had a long streak of green arrows for all the major averages. The NASDAQ, as of yesterday, had a seven-session winning streak on the line, and that's the last time that this happened was back in January of this year. So it's been all year we've been waiting for this to happen. For the Dow and the S&P, it's all the way back to the summer, June and July for for those two averages. Actually, reverse that July and June. July for the Dow, June for the S&P. If you're looking at Treasury yields this morning, you're going to see right now that it looks like the 10-year is yielding. Wow, it's back below 4.6%. So you are continuing to see some pressure on yields this morning. The two-year is below 5% at 4 Meantime, Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari saying he would prefer to err on the side of over-tightening monetary policy rather than not doing enough to bring down inflation. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal, he's now saying the economy has proved resilient, but he has concerns about inflation ticking up again. Kashkari saying he still needed more information for his decision on the next interest rate steps ahead of the December meeting. He, of course, is a voting member of the Fed's policy committee, so it's an interesting move to come out and, and, and say that. Rates aren't listening to him uh, this morning. We're going to uh, big flip-flopper. We'll, we'll see. Passive-aggressive. I, I don't know what he's thinking on any day. We're going to talk to Austin Goolsby uh, in just a little bit. He is another uh, voting member, Chicago Fed president. He's been consistent, at least. And we'll, we'll see what he has to say. But interesting to think that maybe we even do get a hike in December, even though most of the market has taken that off the table. But you know what? When you have a voting member who's not taking it off the table, who's actually talking about it out loud, maybe we need to and, think and about that. Cash Curry, I wonder if it's a he was reaction the biggest to dove. No, he was. I don't but that, it's been a long, a long time since he's really kind of flipped on that. Sound religion, um, but it reminds me of people that, you know, 
they got long the market right at the top too. You know, you can you can get pummeled for long enough, then you finally throw in the towel right when you. Who was it, Kaplan, who told us recently that uh, the former Dallas Federal Reserve president, who told us he thinks this Federal Reserve, Jay Powell in particular, is going to be worried about what happened to Volcker with the return of inflation when they kind of took their foot off the gas or off the brakes. The issue is, and the and the challenge that they're dealing with is we're running a very large deficit uh, in excess of 7% of GDP this last year and probably higher next year. Um, and the, uh, the fact is that accommodative fiscal policy blunts to some extent a very restrictive monetary policy. I don't know, the, the, definitely the 10 year has, uh, has thrown further rate hikes into what we thought the markets had done for the Fed, they're not doing it anymore because now, now they're pushing the Fed in a different way. Well, this is, this is a situation where the dual mandates really bring into question. If you have rising inflation and rising unemployment, which one is your more important mandate? Do you care about unemployment or do you care about the higher inflation? On November 7th, with less than a year to go to an election, I think one of the, or that other mandate might get a little more important. I don't know. If you hear Jay Powell talk, I think he worries about inflation. Yeah, but you it, don't want a recession. Alan Greenspan always was of the opinion that if you took care of the inflation problem, the rest would take care of itself. You want a rising unemployment rate into an election? Well, that's supposed to be non-political, right? Apolitical? No, but I, I yeah, but uh, I, I don't, there's, they talk. House Republicans, look at this, uh, preparing a temporary spending bill to avert a government shutdown on November 18th. This gets really in the weeds, but here's how it would work. They could vote on it as soon as this week. One option would create two new funding cliff dates, one of December 7th, a day that's still living in infamy, uh, and January 19th, keeping uh, parts of the government open selectively while the House and Senate work on a full-year funding agreement. The, another option... Uh, would include extending funding for all agencies until January 19th or negotiating a compromise with Senate Democrats uh, who want to attach assistance uh, for Ukraine. House Speaker Mike Johnson plans to discuss the options with party leaders at a closed-door meeting uh, this morning. I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, President Goolsby because I, what I was saying, I think the market's come around to, or the, the environment has come around to his take, which was that I think he was a reluctant hiker. At least that's what that's what we were hearing when it when yeah. it was happening. Yeah. And so we'll see what it'll be good to ask him about what he thinks of uh, Kashkari. Again, that's coming up a little later. But they this all morning. act like they get along and there's consensus. I think they, they do no one for the most part. I think they just. I think it's I think they put on a good show. They put yeah, but they, I think behind the scenes that they they definitely. Look, they talk disagree, about it. but that doesn't mean that they're at each other's. No, not that, no, I'm, yeah. saying, I'm saying that I'm sure that they there are people pushing both sides. Yeah. Uh, when they're in there, and I think he's probably uh, still more dovish. Urgent caution. Let's talk about WeWork for a moment because uh, it is now official. Uh, we've been speculating about it for quite some time. WeWork filing for bankruptcy as it seeks a comprehensive reorg of its business, which will include cutting some of its leases. Now, the shared workspace company saying the majority of the leases it seeks to reject are non-operational, says creditors holding 92% of its secured debt have agreed on that restructuring plan. Remember, back in August, WeWork had said there was substantial doubt about its ability to stay in business. That's what led to the speculation about what's happening today despite an agreement earlier in the year with a major investor, which was SoftBank. SoftBank reducing its debt and securing new financing. But here we are. What, how many years later? I guess the I model, didn't understand. I thought the model that was model broken. was about 
being able to, to have flexibility and not get stuck in a, in a, in a lease and share it and stuff like for that. For you. <laughs> what do Meaning, you mean? No, no. For, for the, the customer, for it's the actually it's yeah. still one of the great sort of customer-focused centric ideas. The question is whether there's an economic model and underpinning behind doing that. That the, was I, the idea, right? So yes, the, no. The, conceptually, yeah. for the consumer, it was great, but MoviePass was great for the consumer, too. Uh, you know, if you give away money, that's a that's a good business for consumers. Weird though. It, 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 but in a period it's a, where where it's really hard to lease yes. office space, it's a really difficult time right now for everybody. And you would think, well, let's well, get it's a. It's not that work. hard to. They're locked into there longer leases. They're locked into longer leases. Right. They're they're locked. The problem is so they're, they're locked into longer leases at the prices that they're locked into, and then they can only charge the. Customer, customer so much so much on these very short so much it's still good for the customer it's all yeah. too good for the customer right. that's so the good for the customer too good for that, the customer yeah that it couldn't stay in business all right but it's, it's going to stay i mean the, the the truth is it will stay in business the, the next right. the big question not, will be just unloading all the right the question will be what does this business look like in five or ten years from now and will we actually say this actually conceptually was a quite an interesting idea um or maybe and there's a lot of people who always thought by the just way not for the investors. it could never it could never work we'll see Maybe this, uh, we'll see, an update now on, on SAG-AFTRA and the strike. The Screen Actors Guild said it could not accept the latest contract offer from major Hollywood studios, citing differences uh, over issues, which we understand, but it includes artificial intelligence. On Saturday, the union's negotiating committee said it had received a new offer from the studios that was framed as the last, best, and final offer. And we should note that our parent company, Comcast, uh, is among the studios negotiating uh, with the striking actors, obviously NBC uh, Universal. It's never really the last, best, is it? That means it never, if it's not accepted, then you never, never be another movie made? Well, it means that we're not going to continue to raise the stakes, I think is what the studios are saying. You mean raise so the, the offer? The offer, yeah. yeah. So they, they're going to have to find some way to sit down at the table and have everybody work it out, but yeah. It's still Fran? we still got to get Fran on board? Fran Drescher. She, I mean, she's dealing with those kids, those bratty kids. I mean, think about As it. As the nanny? Yeah. She's tough. That's where she learned her... Parenting is the toughest job. That is for sure. Tell me about it. <laughs> Next on Squawk Pod. Actually, he doesn't refer to himself. He just insists that I refer to him as, as President Goolsby. Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby says the economy is making progress against inflation. Is it enough? I'm in the data dog caucus. We're going to go by the conditions as a very Midwestern thing. You know, there is no bad weather. There is only bad clothing. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You 
ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe, in three, two, one. His mic, Q. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew, uh, and um, Lease Maniacs. Uh, sit up, take notice. Leaseman is here. Yeah. Pretty soon we're going to be interviewing the president of the Chicago Fed, uh, Austin Goldsby. He, he refers to himself as the president which is, it's okay, there he is. He's gonna be on in a second. Uh, actually, he doesn't refer to himself. He just insists that I refer to him as, as President Goldsby. So I don't know if he calls himself that, do you know? He doesn't really. I, I don't think so. Austin's no, sort just, of a humble guy. He is. With he, everybody he, but you. With me, yeah, everybody but you. you yeah, you, you can call me the queen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring in Austin Goldsby, the Chicago Fed president. Austin, there's going to be questions about the title and the correct title to use for you and things like that. President. Uh, president. Uh, we'll get Mr. to that. We'll, we will get to that in a second, Joe. But I, I just want to ask you this question. Uh, by, by the way, Austin, thank you for joining us this morning. You bet. So feels like in the last two weeks we've been through like seven different cycles. We hit 450. Uh, we had 5, 5% on the 10-year on the 23rd of October. Then we fell down to 450 earlier this week. Now we're back up to 460. Tell us about how you are thinking about the change in long-term yields, the effect on the economy, and the effect on policy. Thank you. Well, look, the f- first thing is you gotta, you got to try to look through two-week movements of any variable. And that's true for long rates. That's true for sh- short rates. That's true for one month's data set. So I'm, I'm trying not to get overly worked up about uh, about tweak movements, if the long rates are sustained at high levels, that is most likely tightening. I mean, it depends partly why the rates are going up, but if that's coming from term premium and it's tightening, then we got to take that into account. We should expect that to see that with the lag working its way through the economy. So we're all paying attention and, and trying to figure out what's driving it. Can you put some numbers around that? I kind of get that concept, but what the street seems to be clamoring for is this idea, well, is 450 too loose? Because what happened on Friday, um, well, uh, what happened before that was that everybody was saying, you know what, up near 5%, that means it's restrictive. Now it was down to 450, and then we had economists saying, you know what, maybe that brings the Fed back in because it's too low. What's the band that you're looking at, Austin, to say, well, this is restrictive and this is not? Well, there's two parts of that. First, like I say, you got to figure out what is driving the long rate up. When, when it's going up, what's driving it up? Because there are some aspects where the long rate going up is replacement for short-run tightening, if you want to think of it that way. But there are some circumstances, if you thought what was happening was they were changing their outlook for what the long-term growth rate is, the implications of that are very different than if what was happening was changing outlook for expectations of what inflation was going to be. That would be driving up long rates, but it wouldn't have an implication that it, that it was about uh, tightening in the same way. So you, you can't really answer. That's a short way of saying you cannot answer what number equals enough tightening and what doesn't. B- because let's remember the other thing that's happening is we're getting 
some supply, positive supply shock developments right. that are working their way through the economy. Right. So you can't just look at GDP growth being very strong for the quarter or big jobs numbers for the month and say, ah, that means demand is overheating because you, you got the supply part is working its way through. Austin, last week was an interesting week, not only from the standpoint of interest rates, but also the economy. Those, those ISM numbers that are followed so closely by the market, both in the service sector and the manufacturing sector, weakened. We got one of the lower jobs reports we've had in a long time, uh, including downward revisions to prior, report, to prior numbers. Um, what's your take on the extent to which the economy is weakening and, how, weakening, and how much concern do you have that the weakening doesn't stop at the soft landing, but maybe becomes a recession? Yeah, look, it, it's weakening, and it had to weaken. You would think that we, we, we had GDP growth that was almost 5% for the quarter. It, it's, it's hard to view that that would be trend growth. So you, I think part of this would be expected. If you look on the job market side, most of the measures, not just a single month uh, job report, job creation, but ratios of vacancies to the unemployed, looking at the speed of wage growth slowing down. The job market is getting into better balance. And I, I kind of think that the so far the slowdown is what you would want, is what you would expect. It's moving to a more balanced growth, sustainable uh, level. If that were to continue, then for sure we've got to be mindful of the conditions. I mean, you, we don't want to pre-commit ourselves. You know, I don't like pre-committing on what we're going to do on rates at the next meeting, much less over the next year. But it's, it did seem like people were getting themselves into a big argument about what would rates be a year and two years from now. Mr. President, I... I I'm not going to say like the beginning of that. Yeah, I, like I know that you do. Lot, I know, Joe. Mr. President, but I don't think you'll admit my premise. So then I can't give you kudos uh -oh. for being for being right. No. Would you admit that maybe you were more reluctant to be overly tight at the last few meetings more than some of your colleagues and maybe were warning of the. Uh, possible lag effects that, that are impossible to calculate. See, what I'm trying to say is you were rightly dovish, and I think the market has played into your, um, what you thought was going to happen, I think is happening right now. I don't think we're going to need another hike. I, I'm not sure we needed the last one. I, and see, you, you're not going to admit any dissent with your colleagues, but I still, weren't you somewhat reluctant to, to, to vote with, with the hike a couple times or at least once? Well, you got a lot of questions in there, Joe. As you know, the rules forbid me. I don't speak for anyone else on the committee but, but myself. I've been saying for months that the thing that we want to be paying attention to as you look at the mandate, that by law, we want to stabilize prices and maximize employment. I've been saying for months, be careful looking at the traditional side of if growth is high, if the job market is strong and we're creating a lot of jobs, that that means demand overheating because I've thought these supply shocks are working their way through. That the overwhelming thing we need to do is pay attention to inflation and get the inflation down. The, the employment side of the mandate's going well. It's been the inflation's been the problem. And I just want to emphasize inflation has come down a lot. 
If you look over the last 100 years, in years that are not demobilizations for World War II and stuff like that, in the last 100 years, the fastest drop in the inflation rate in any year was 1982, of course, at the peak of the Volcker tightening. And depending which measure of inflation you want to use, it was a little over 4% drop in a single year. We'll see what happens uh, over the next couple of months. We might equal the, the fastest drop in inflation in the last century. So we're making progress on the inflation rate. And as long as we're making progress, as I have been saying for a while, the moment of arguing what, how high should the rate go is going to fade to how long should we keep rates at this level as inflation's coming down. Maybe it was we're, transitory we're all along. Maybe everything's, transitory, everything's all transitory all along, yeah. Yeah. including life our is lives. Life is transitory. Right. Austin, let me just ask you, this is a period of inflection, like this is a period of inflection. And at those moments, this is when it really gets down to the brass tacks of the two mandates, the dual mandate that the Fed has, making sure there's full employment, but also making sure inflation doesn't get out of whack. When you have a question between the two of them, let's say the jobs market gets much weaker, you're facing higher unemployment, Let's say inflation is stubbornly higher, even maybe sticking up there and, and rising a little bit more from the rate that it's already at. Which of those two is the more important mandate? Because Greenspan was always very clear. He said if you took care of the inflation issue, the rest of the mandate would work out on its own. Do you share that same thing? Or if push comes to shove, which is the more important mandate? At this moment, it's clear that inflation is the more important part of the mandate because we got far behind on that side, while the unemployment side has remained remarkably strong. So I don't I don't know that there's a philosophical answer at all times. But at this time, for sure, we've got to get inflation down. That's the number one thing. Austin, I, I want to ask you two questions. They're both the same question, but maybe one you'll answer, one you won't. First question is, are, first question is, are you done? The other way I'd ask the question is, can you talk about the conditions by which you would say you're done? Well, and it sounds like you're playing into exactly the thing that I was saying in the market. I, I don't want to get into. I don't like pre-committing what the rates are going to be at the next meeting when we still have weeks to go and a lot of information together. It just sounds like you're asking for even more than that, not just what a, what would I vote for at the next meeting? But what am I going to vote for over the next year? For sure, we cannot answer that until we see what the conditions are. I mean, th that's, that's, right. that seems straightforward. M my conditions for when we should be done is we're back on path, clearly, to get inflation down to target. Now, we've made a lot of progress. And I think anybody who's saying that we're stalling out on inflation or it hasn't been enough, would do well to remember this fact that we're among the fastest falling inflation rate years in the last century. That's a pretty good, uh, that, that, that's a path that looks good, but we've got to be, it's, it's not done yet. I mean, the inflation rate while down is still above where the target is. And I'm absolutely hammering that's what we should be watching. It's not the okay. it's the priority but, should not be on GDP growth and and job growth. It should be on inflation rate. If inflation falls more and you remain at the current level, doesn't that mean you've gotten tighter when it comes to policy? 
It does. Yeah, it gets more restrictive because the real rate is going so up. So why would you want to be more restrictive if inflation is falling further? Well, it, it, it depends what the conditions are. It, if inflation is falling further, but you convinced yourself that it was going to stop somewhere above target, then you would you would still want to be restrictive. Okay. Um, right now, the market has built in rate cuts next year, actually pretty serious ones, about 100 basis points. Do, do you feel that a need to think about, like Kashkari yesterday seemed to be saying to the market, don't get so sanguine about rate cuts and don't get so sanguine that we're done. Are, are you comfortable with where and how the market is priced? Is that something you feel a need to address? I, uh, I, it's, it's hard to say that as a general rule. I mean, as you know, Paul Volcker was my great mentor. I worked with him in the financial crisis. And he used to always say, our job is to act. He was speaking of the, of the Fed. Our job is to act and their job is to react. And let's not get the order mixed up. Uh, the financial conditions clearly matter, but the, that, they, it can't be that the market tells the Fed what to do when a bunch of the expectations are, well, what do they think the Fed is going to do? So let's not get ourselves in a circle. When do you think the um, situation is going to uh, evolve such that it's another inflection point here? I guess um, Becky has a question just a second, but do you have an outlook, uh, uh, Austin, you could share with us for next year? Inflection point on growth or on inflation or on, on rates? Policy. What, what, which are you? On policy. On policy. But look, I'm, I'm in the data dog caucus, like I right. told you. We're going to go by the conditions. It's a very Midwestern thing. You know, the, there is no bad weather. There is only bad clothing. And we'll, we'll prepare and deal with it, uh, whatever it is. I feel, uh, as I have been saying for some time, that unusually for a soft landing of this magnitude, there has never been an inflation rate drop. To, to get inflation down as much as as we're getting it down without a big recession. That's basically never happened. But because of some of the strangeness of this moment, there is the possibility of the golden path that I call it, that we got inflation down without a recession. If that happened in a way that wouldn't be an inflection point, it would just be a continuation of what we've already seen this year, which is unemployment up very modestly while inflation has come down a lot. If that, that, that's our goal, and let's right. shoot to try to, to manage that, and we just got to check out these, these lags of, of policy and conditions. Thank you. Before your next question, I just want to explain something. When an economist like Goolsby talks about a supply shock, it can be positive and negative. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about a positive supply shock, which has come from both, you know, getting back to, sure. from the pandemic stuff, but also the influx of, of, uh, of, of people into the labor force. That's been a yeah. positive supply shock. Austin, let me, let me just ask you, um, you know, you were just talking about your job is to act and for everybody else's to react. And that makes sense. But everything that the Federal Reserve is doing to try and bring down inflation is, is hampered. The headwind that you're facing is a lot of, of, of fiscal spending coming from the government. Uh, national debt is now $33 trillion, north of $33 trillion. Is there a message from the Fed to ever say to the fiscal authorities that, by the way, have oversight over you to push back and say, hey, you guys are making our job tougher. You shouldn't be doing this. Or is that too difficult to do because this is the body that has oversight for the Federal Reserve? 
I've, uh, for me, that it would not be appropriate for me to tell anybody in in fiscal land w- what they should be doing with fiscal policy. That's Congress is the is the boss, and if, however they decide on on spending on taxes, we we the Fed have got to take that into account as as one of the financial conditions. But it, it would not be appropriate for for me to be. Does it make your job tougher? Uh, I don't. It, it affects the economy, and how the economy goes is how we determine our, our, uh, our policy rates, uh, and, we, and we follow the data. I mean, the, there's a lot of disagreement about what are the causes of loan rates going up. We have to look at loan rates. We have to figure out what the causes are to figure out, does that replace tightening, or does that emphasize the importance of tightening? And so for sure, we, we have to monitor the conditions. Austin, I have a maybe it's going to come across as a political question. And I don't know if Steve got to this earlier at all. But, you know, when you and I, I know that the Fed is clearly uh, independent and is supposed to be independent of this administration. But when you see polls around this administration as it relates to the economy, so many of the polls really, I think, are measuring a lot of, frankly, what you folks are doing. When you see uh, the polls about how people feel about the economy today, and I know sort of intellectually you could say the economy seems like it's in a great place in many ways, but the, the, the feeling of, of, of average Americans seems to be very negative. What do you think about that? I, I kind of think two things. One, the mandate by law tells the Fed what we're supposed to do, which is stabilize the prices and maximize employment. There's nothing about polling in our mandate Historically, consumer sentiment does affect consumer spending, and so it would filter through into if you're if you're watching the data, you would be monitoring business sentiment, consumer sentiment, and we and we do. The only thing I will point out is sometime around the great financial crisis, the relationship between reported consumer confidence and then future consumer spending, that relationship kind of broke down. And those, those variables as, a, as economic indicators, as opposed to political or, or feeling indica- indicators of something else, that, that's become a lot less reliable measure. So I, I don't 100% know what to make of it or why the divergence between, it, it's partly the, the economic conditions data and the sentiment data, there's a discrepancy. There's also as big a discrepancy as we've ever seen in the question, how are your situation? How's your financial situation? Good. How's the economy? Yeah. Bad. Th- that discrepancy has never it been is, bigger. So it is, it, it, it something is, weird is going on. We have, we have to go, Andy, but it is true. A lot of, an awful lot of pessimistic and angry people are doing an awful lot of spending. Right. And well, and that's why that's I, yeah. hopefully Austin will have you back soon and we can talk about that, because I think there's sort of this. Yeah. This feeling in America. And I'm trying to understand what that feeling, you know, where it comes from, what it is and how it relates, frankly, to how you do your job. So thank you. Sold more cars in the wake of 9-11 than almost any other time. Uh, Austin, thank His you for joining us. went to zero. Great to yeah. see you all again. Cheese will be next. Coming up. Republican pollster Frank Luntz on Election Day, the one today, and the one a year from now. 
Plus, he weighs in on the opinions of young people about the choice for president and about the war in Israel. Where did they get the idea about this? They get this? their information from TikTok, and TikTok is dominated by people who don't share a commitment to economic freedom. Is that because it's run by China, or is that just the nature of the social media? Do we get the truth on social media? No way. Squawk Pod will be right back. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. It's Election Day, and despite it being an off year, there are several key races that analysts are watching closely. In Mississippi and Kentucky, voters will decide on governors for the next four years. In Virginia, Republicans are attempting to win control of the state legislature. And in Ohio, voters will decide whether to add abortion protection to the state's constitution. Today's elections are the backdrop for tomorrow night's third Republican presidential debate. Five candidates will face off in Miami. The frontrunner, Donald Trump, will once again skip that debate. Meantime, voters are going to be heading to the polls today. The first big test of the uh, power ahead of the 2024 presidential election with a slew of statewide and local races across the country. We want to bring in pollster and political strategist Frank Luntz to weigh in on the key races today and themes to watch for in terms of trying to extrapolate what they mean for next year. So what, what's the top, top of the list for you? Turnout. Turnout. Who's participating? Are Republicans going to the polls or are Democrats particularly active? I'm watching Virginia because that could have an impact on the presidential race. Do Republicans, are they able to recapture the legislature? Virginia used to be a leaning Republican state, then it turned purple, then it turned leaning Democrat. But it's possible that under... Yunkin, Governor Yunkin, it may be back with the GOP. We got to find out. Tonight. Are you a believer, by the way, that if it is uh, a a big Republican sweep uh, in that state, that Yunkin could actually turn around and try to run for uh, for president? I think he's looking at it. He's making phone calls. I know that people here in this town are talking about it. They're inc- but is it just people in this town that are talking about it, or is it all over the country that they're talking about? It? Uh, truth is, not many people know him. Okay. We know him. We have come to, to understand what he has done in, in Virginia, but it's not a nationwide phenomenon. And I wonder if it wouldn't be similar to Rick Perry when he jumped in as governor of Texas. Boomlet started. He went to the top of the polls within two weeks, and then he petered out. Can I ask you about Kentucky? Sure. It's a conservative place. Uh, Andy Bashir is very popular, but he has a Republican legislature, so he hadn't been able to... To do, any, to do any Democrat thing. So he, he remains popular, but I hear this is too close to call, and the other guys are really a, attractive uh, candidate for Republicans. Well, it reminds me of Massachusetts, where Democrats always control the legislature, but the Republicans kept the governorship. The public seems to like Republicans to lead and Democrats closer to the people. And Kentucky's an example of a state that should be in the Republican camp, but isn't in these statewide races. He's pretty popular this year, but this, how close is it? Do you, have you seen the numbers? I heard it's like uh, too close to call. Right I, I believe that Bashir gets reelected. What did you make of uh, the New York Times Siena poll over it, the weekend? It started a food fight 
internally, politically. And it's not just that Biden is losing to Trump in five of the six key states. Those are all states that Biden won in 2020. And they're all states that Trump now looks like not only is he competitive, but he's winning. Two things to point out. Number one is that young voters who should be backing Biden by 60-40 aren't. And the second issue is that if you put Nikki Haley in there or some other Republican, they do even better than Donald Trump. It is not the Republican strength. It is Democratic weakness. And I don't understand for the life of me right. why Chuck Schumer and why Hakeem Jeffries do not go to the White House and say, sir, you've been a great president, you've done a good job for us, but it's time to move on. Who is David it? Axelrod did say that. He did say that, but he's from the right. Obama administration. Which is basically a different party. And so he won't be heard. And well, none and none of the influential, the power brokers within the Democratic Party have the guts. Right. But who is the candidate then on the Democratic side that you believe would be competitive with Trump? Most of is them. It, your argument is that any of them would do as well or better? Mitch Landrieu, the in charge of infrastructure, one of the best retail politicians ever, the former mayor of New Orleans. Cory Booker, the senator from across the river. Articus. He is, he's got an amazing rap. He's got an amazing... He does, and, and in person, unbelievable. You really feel special. I'm not going to disagree with those things. The question is, you, you're in the polling business. Yes. Do you think those people win against President Trump if they were in that role? Yes, I do. And how does that all work in terms of how you would effectuate this transition effectively, I mean, you'd effectively have to have Biden say, I'm not doing this. Right, and you'd have to Step do it down. Right. You then, And then uh, tell me how you're going to uh, work or deal with the, the vice president. He would I have... Mean, it become, this is a very how long does he, he doesn't have two-step, three-step exactly. situation. He has to happen right now because states are closing up their ability to, to get on the, the ballots. So Biden would have to leave in the next three, three or four weeks. We agree on this. Okay. And so Harris, then we can all agree that this is not going to happen, right? Unless no, you, you really I think don't. this is happening? No, I don't think it's happening. I think it, it could happen. And if I was a Democratic strategist like Axelrod, mm -hmm. I would insist on it. Because Joe Biden is not going to be the same guy a year from now that he is today. And the reason why people are turning against him because of age is not because of next year. It's four years down the road. Joe Biden would be 86 as president. What, what about Andrew's question, though? Is it Kamala Harris? Is it somebody else? How in three weeks you right. not only convince him to step she, down and then if you find saw out the polls, the She's polling higher than he is. Explain for the, that. For the first, for the first time, time right. ever. No, but ex explain that because it, that goes completely counter to the narrative. In a word, in a word. It's age. That it's, it's the negatives, not the positives. You, yes, it's, and it's not her strength. It's his weakness. And it's getting weaker and weaker. And he's got one economic issue, a major economic issue, which is inflation. It's still an annoyance, it's an irritant, because it affects every single individual. And Biden can't get around that. That he might be able to fix, but you can't fix age. Frank, you're on college campuses all the time. Do you get the feeling that the silent majority just isn't being seen right now? Are the loudest, most uh, out there, is it a minority that, that was, and I'm talking about the demonstrations and protests uh, that we're seeing. Um, is, it, is it a majority of college students are are on the side of the protesters? A majority of college students do not share the same values of the people at this table. 
The young people today were raised differently. They saw things differently. You know nothing about the whole situation. Where did they get the idea about this? They get this? their information from TikTok, and TikTok is dominated by people who don't share a commitment to economic freedom, don't share a commitment to to the democracy that we know, and they have been raised to believe this stuff. Is that because it's run by China, or is that just the nature of the social media? It's the nature of social media because we don't know the truth anymore, and that is the number one value. I'd love to bring that to you guys. We ask the question, what is the value that's missing in America more than any other? And by 15 points, it's the truth. And do we get the truth on social media? No way. And that's an issue. And for conservatives, they won't regulate it because that's government involvement. For progressives, they want the truth, and they're afraid of having... <laughs> they want their truth. <laughs> they, okay, they want their truth. And so in either way, we have a problem that young people aren't lose, learning critical thinking. They're not learning uh, um, problem solving. They're lo- not learning team building. It's not just about reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's these skills that we need right now. I teach at West Point. It is the only exception to the rule. At West Point, you learn how to lead. At West Point, you learn how to work together. You solve problems. At the other universities, unfortunately, Joe, they are woke. So, And you really think that it's that with social media, it's not like, like previous generations? Because previous generations, they all come around. I made the point. I, I, I watched this movie from the 60s, the, the Easy Rider, and they were talking to these guys in a commune. They, they could have been transplanted to today. They reminded me of, of the same idealism, the the mystery. That's a tiny slice of it back in the late 1960s. Now, in 2023, that's the majority, and it's happening. And they won't ever come, they're going to stay that way forever. Unless people change them, unless they're challenged. And that's why the university presidents are now under the gun, because they're not saying no to anti-Semitism. They get wrapped up in the woke stuff, but they don't get wrapped up in some of these other tragedies. And the fact is, and I didn't think I'd be talking about this on this show, to be a Jewish student on a college campus right now is frightening. And something needs to be done. Can you imagine if there were demonstrations against black people, if there were demonstrations against Asian people? If they, it, it's unheard of. It's, it's, why can't you connect the dots to see how crazy this is? And I want to give Mark Rowan credit, Bill Ackman credit, Uh, Steve Schwartzman credit. There are people in the business community, Gibson Dunn, the law firm, who are saying never again. We're not going to allow these students to be victimized. We're not going to hire students who are so anti the mainstream. And Rowan is changing Penn single-handedly. And Ackman's going... You think it's happening? I think it's happening. I think it's changing college campuses. And it's the only good news that's coming out of the Middle East right now is that it is impossible now to shut, to make students victims if you are Jewish. And it's one of the great changes on college campuses, and it's a good thing, and the business community is leading it. So good for them. Frank, thank you for joining us this morning. Appreciate it very, very much. Wide-ranging. You've got to be prepared for that. On this show, I'm, pre- I'm prepared for everything. Very quickly before you go, Trump, same story. If, there's, if Youngkin or somebody else doesn't change this in the next three to four weeks, it's too late for them, too, because this is just about who gets on the ballot. And do they beat anybody beat Biden? Nikki Haley beat Biden? Yes, she beats Biden. She crushes him. Chris Christie crushes him. Everyone. DeSantis, whose campaign has gone to hell, beats Joe Biden. Donald Trump trumpets his numbers, and they are very good right now but he's actually the weakest Republican against the Democrats. All right. 
To listen to our interviews with Mark Rowan, Bill Ackman, and others on the response to the Israel-Hamas war and alumni's take on campus speech, please scroll back in the Squawk Pod feed wherever you're listening now, whatever your platform of choice is. Bill Ackman's full interview was in yesterday's pod. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And go vote. The off years matter. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow Squawk Pod to listen anytime. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.